some people just feel really helpless. They're like, okay, I'm not making it worse, but how can I help? How can I make it better? And that feeling of like that you're able to make a difference and being able to contribute, even if it's something small, I think that can be really powerful and a massive boost to your mental health. My name is James Cura. This is Everything is Hunky Dory, a podcast where we spark the conversation about mental health. Each week, I'll be sitting down with a close friend and giving quality time to a conversation we may have never had. The more we can see, understand, and talk about mental health, the more people we can help. So, if you're like me, you may have found yourself bombarded with information, stats, conspiracies around the coronavirus. It's all a bit overwhelming, and not only does it make me start to worry, Most of the time, I don't even know what exact facts I'm worried about. With so many different news stories appearing all over the place, it's a fairly serious situation, as we all know by now. But in some ways, clarity could help ease our panic, give us some stability, and a look ahead at how our lives may adapt as we continue to battle against coronavirus. This is where Aaron comes in, our guest for this coronavirus special. He studied epidemiology at the University of Cambridge, and over the last couple of weeks, he has written a series of articles on his blog about coronavirus, why we should take it seriously, and where we might go from here. I know a lot of my friends have said how much easier it was to understand when Aaron explains things like he's talking to a normal human being, and although sometimes startling, the information is an honest attempt to give us some idea about when we may be able to get back to our normal lives. And thanks to the wonders of modern technology, we managed to do the entire podcast recording while maintaining our two metre distance the entire time. Uh, so how's, how's everything been? Been alright mate, yeah been alright. It's been, um, last week was very stressful for me, um, but this week's been like much, much easier so I'm like starting to settle into whatever new life is going to be for the foreseeable future. Um, so what, what you... Well, what were you doing before this all happened? So I've got a day job. So I work for a charity down in London, Moorfields Eye Hospital, the charity attached to that. Um, so that's kind of my day job. So I was working for them, um, but I kind of freelance on the side as well. But but the thing that the thing that was hard was just like uh, I was a you know I studied epidemiology for my undergrad degree. So you know I've I've studied the model that they're working off the UK government are working off and the one that's in that imperial paper that's kind of done the rounds um and the the challenge for me was that last week uh sorry so God, I don't know I lost track of all the dates but whatever it was the week so the monday that the um the government first said everyone should work from home kind of that week and the week before that um were just really hard for me because I read the papers and I looked at the data and I got quite interested in it. And then I was like, oh shit, this thing could be really, really bad. Like it might be all right, but it could be really bad. You know, I was watching the news and they were kind of like, yeah, or like, you know, go home if you can, like try not to like go out and have too many parties. And I was like, Jesus, but understanding the science, man, I was like, you need to, you need to do something now. Like it might be too late if you wait any longer. Um, so it was just kind of very frustrating and difficult to watch. It's crazy thinking how how sort of involved you are in that situation. I mean, it's it's like the same with anything. If you've been working close to it or you're interested in any way, to see something as widespread as this develop must be like having a crystal ball and not being able to do anything about what's happening inside it. 
Oh, that's a really good way of putting it, yeah. And, and the reason I'm trying to shout about this as much as I can is I keep trying to say to people, I can tell you with almost complete certainty what's going to happen in the next week. You know, I don't need to watch the news anymore because I can and I can tell you, you know, the maths is already done for the next week. I saw on a um, on an article recently how they said how viruses are very they can you can almost tell exactly what's going to happen with the virus because they follow the pattern well that yeah they follow the rules so they have a set of rules and they change a little bit depending on lots of different factors but fundamentally they follow their own rules that's why predicting the stock market is like completely impossible because it's nuts but predicting how this virus is going to spread is not um and you can have a really good idea of what's going to happen and so like you know i've had friends being like oh if you're stressed just like stop watching the news and i'm like i can't it doesn't work because it's all in my head because I know what's going to happen. <laughs> so what do you th- what do you think is going to happen in the next week? Well, obviously we're we're recording this at a time where we're sort of what is it? Two, we're two weeks into the lockdown, or maybe a week in. A week in, yeah. So lockdown happened mo- on Monday the twenty third. Is that right? Yeah. So lockdown. So we're we're you know six five six days in, which um, means so we're this virus works on like a kind of. 10 to 15 day time lag so that means if you get infected you might have you know three maybe maybe three days of not really noticing going about your normal day then you might get a bit ill so then you got a few days of being ill maybe you know maybe up to maybe five days maybe a week you know depends on different people some people don't get ill at all and then then what happens is once you've had that period then the people who are going to get really ill get ill and go into hospital so that means we are now still seeing if you go so let's say you go back 10 to 15 days that's the middle of last week as far as the numbers we're seeing going to hospital concerned we're at like the 18th or 19th of march right now something like or maybe earlier than that maybe the 16th people still haven't gone into hospital if they'd have caught the illness on the sunday before lockdown basically what will happen is until at least until the first of april probably a little bit longer than that we're just seeing deaths go up so all this week deaths have just gone up and up and grown faster and faster because actually the lockdown hasn't had any impact yet so in the real world it stopped the transmission of the virus but in the 10 to 15 delayed world days delayed world that we see um we haven't seen that yet so the 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 interesting time will be you know, towards the end of next week, hopefully, deaths should, you know, the number of deaths happening should start to slow down a bit. Um, and that will that will be when we see the lockdown working. But kind of, as of now, what we're seeing now is kind of the damage that was already done before that. Okay, so, so right, yeah, right now we're in that phase where people like me were still going to the pub, we were still going out for dinner, we were still socialising. So it was at like, one of the highest points of um, contagious spreading. Exactly. So at that point, you know, we're still seeing the results of all that exponential spreading of, you know, people going to the beach at the weekend and it going through the beach like wildfire and no one noticing. So we're still kind of, uh, we're still seeing a bit of that. Mate, it's, it's crazy. It's really like, it's, I mean, obviously we're all going through the same thing as well. It's like that, that, that idea of, you know, since World War Two, nothing has fully affected a nation like this. It's, it's just it's so rounded it's it doesn't have anyone who's not being affected by it so the question that i had was what because having read your um couple of articles that you've done uh, which are really good by the way they're they're sort of short concise pieces of actual information but not because the thing that i found recently is that there's a lot of um there's almost too much information there's too much reporting and it, it's like 
you hear some stuff from somewhere and someone says like you're not allowed to have ibuprofen you're not allowed to do this and it's like you hear so much stuff but to actually just see fundamental things of like this is how it's gonna you know this is how the next few weeks are gonna go because that's essentially what people are questioning they're like what, what's gonna happen with life as we go forward yeah i completely agree and like there's a huge amount of information out there and i'm finding it pretty overwhelming and I thought, you know, the reason I kind of wrote, started writing a couple of articles was I thought, you know, pe- people want to know from someone that they know and trust, how is this going to affect me? And like, fundamentally, that's what matters to people the most, I think. And I'm in a position where I can actually help people understand that and be someone that they say, actually, I know this guy, I'm going to listen to what he says, rather than, well, which of these 10 articles do I listen to? Because they're all telling me something a bit different. With your articles as well, there's there's no headline grabbing in the sense that like, depending on what what where you get your news from, it does seem to be oh click on this because it's saying oh uh, you're not going to be able to go outside it for you know till December or something like that and it's like headline grabbing stuff. This is a great time for journalism and papers because essentially everyone is looking towards news to get their you know their daily dose of what the hell's going on with their life. One of the big problems at the moment is kind of the armchair expert so the person the people who understand a bit of what's going on but are missing some of the subtleties and um you know i think the really important point and the thing that i always try and say is that like everything i say is my best guess about what's going on but anyone who tells you that they can do more than guess is wrong because we just no one really knows basically the most useful thing data wise would be for one country in the world to just be like you know what we don't think this is going to be that bad let's just not do anything and see what happens and if one country in the world did that we might see that actually this thing isn't going to be that bad and it's only going to kill the same number of people as a normal flu epidemic and it's not a big deal or we might see, oh shit, this thing is really bad and it's killed like half a million people and it's a fucking disaster. And the problem is no country has the balls to be the first people to do that. And quite rightly, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, the, the problem with saying everything's going to be fine is what if you're wrong? I mean, but the coronavirus in itself is something that has, it's been around. I mean, coronavirus as a virus it, it happens there is you know more obviously more you know it's it's happened before so how do we was it literally just uh fate or luck that something like this has happened and a certain strain has developed that has in a modern society moved more quickly around the world than ever before and we've just you know we've not prepared for it because we haven't seen it necessary to prepare for well this is the challenge actually so you know you're right that coronaviruses that they're a family of viruses so they've happened before Um, But actually, you know, parts of the world have prepared for this because we have seen it before. So the SARS epidemic, which was, I think, 2006, I think. I can't remember. But, um, you know, mid-2000s sometime, SARS-1 came out. So this coronavirus is actually known as SARS-2, basically. Um, And SARS-1 came out and and it, you know, it did spread really fast. It came out of China. It got in South Korea. It got in Singapore. It was mostly located to the... Um, to the Far East, but we did have cases around the world. Um, and the big difference with with SARS-1 is that people who got it got ill really, really fast, and they got really ill really fast. Um, now, that sounds like a bad thing, and in some ways it is, but it actually makes it much easier to control because, you know, you catch it today, 
this you catch it tonight in the pub tomorrow morning you're really ill and you need to go to hospital which means straight away you can be tested you can be isolated and they can go out and say right who are you in the pub with just last night and then they can isolate all of those people and test them all and that's like doable um and the problem with SARS-CoV-2 which is coronavirus now um is that that doesn't happen so when you get it you don't really get ill for no we don't really know how long but you don't really get ill for a little while and some people don't get ill at all some people are completely asymptomatic and that means very very quickly you can't identify people who've got it you can't trace you know if someone comes in who's sick it's like where were you in the last three days you know if that's london that could be thousands of people you can't trace all those people and so that's the reason this one has spread so quickly. Um, but the thing that is really interesting is so the countries that were hit badly by SARS, so South Korea, Singapore, China um, particularly, um, their response to this new coronavirus has been much faster and much more effective. So if you look at all the graphs, the three lines that don't look awful are China, South Korea and Singapore. And it's because they've got processes in place to deal with this because they knew it would happen again. Is because this is something that basically has obviously been spoken about in so many different ways. But as this is a flu and it's a flu that may come, you know, it may dip during the summer, it may come back in winter. Is this something that essentially everyone is going to get at some point potentially because of its nature and because it's it's. I don't know if you, uh, you've obviously heard the, the expression of herd immunity, where you, you could be, explain this better than I can, but the idea that if more people get it, the more immune society we are. So for the first point, um, just to say that it's it's not, this isn't a flu, it's just very similar to flu um, in a lot of ways. So so it just, basically it's just a, a technical point about what the viruses are called. But yeah, you're right, it's a similar similar thing. Um, I think it's it's hard to know at the moment, but... It looks like, given how quickly this thing is spreading, so flu on average infects just every person who's got flu, infects between one and two other people um, with flu, with the virus. So it, it, I can't remember exactly what the number is, but it's you know just over one. So it spreads quite slowly, um, really. Whereas this thing infects probably between two and three other people, um, which doesn't sound like a big difference, but in terms of the mass, means that it spreads much much faster. Because instead of, you know, instead of one becoming two, becoming four, it's one becomes three, becomes nine, becomes 27. So it, it scales up much faster, this one. Um, and I think based on based on our current our current understanding of the virus, it's pretty likely that we're all going to get it. And it's pretty likely that most of us will be fine. Um, and I think this is still a matter of opinion, but my my guess is that we are going to go for if we can get to a position where coronavirus is just like another flu that happens every year, a few people die every year, most of us are immune to it. That would be a pretty good place to be. The other way it might go is it might end up like chickenpox. So you know, with chickenpox, kids get it really mildly, and then adults get it really badly, um, and so you might. Um, you might in 10 years time be having coronavirus parties for your kids so that they can get it and get immune um, the only the, the problem is there that um, coronavirus because it's like flu it changes very quickly so chickenpox changes very slowly it's very stable so your immunity lasts a lifetime 
Whereas um, the odds are that you're immune to coronavirus now, but you might not be immune to coronavirus in a few years' time. Um, now, there's, it's, it's really difficult to say whether coronavirus will go seasonal because um, it's quite interesting, actually, but the reason flu comes back every year is because, you know, in, in certain months of the year, it circulates around Southeast Asia. And then when the seasons change and it becomes our winter, someone flies it over to Europe and it circulates around Europe. And then when the seasons change and it becomes our spring, someone flies it back to Southeast Asia and it goes back around Southeast Asia. So basically, we the two sides of the world act as separate reservoirs for the virus so it can keep alive all the way through the year. Now, what might happen with coronavirus is that it infects everyone around the world so quickly this summer, or this, our summer, that... Um, that there's nowhere left for it to go in the winter because everyone's already quite immune and then it really dies out. So that's a possibility. So we might not, you know, it might not be a problem in a couple of years time. Um, it kind of, it, it's a bit too early to say whether that will happen. So in terms of, in terms of, let's say if you're getting overwhelmed with the amount of information, have you, is there any advice given to like anyone? Do you know any advice that people can take on when, if it, if it is getting a bit too much for them, everyone's own specific problems will be keeping going and stuff. But is there anything that you would recommend for people to do because it could be affecting them, you know, in, with their own mental health, being stuck inside all day and hearing negative press every day about the, the virus? For sure. So there's, um, I mean, I've definitely, you know, everything is coronavirus related at the moment and um it can it can get a bit much particularly with like you know it's not just the news but it's your phone going off every five minutes with a new whatsapp message about someone wanting to talk about something and you know there's a lot out there um my advice would be um that you know unless you're unless you're unless you want to be really actively involved in it try and put aside um kind of certain chunks of time in the day so so i i some people advocate just not watching the news I kind of think it's really important for us all to be um, aware of what's going on at the moment because this thing affects all of us and I think we all need to be informed. Um, but, you know, I do think that, you know, limiting it to, you know, I'm going to read the news for an hour in the morning and I'm going to watch the briefing from the government in the evening and that's it. And the rest of the time I'm going to try not to read the news, I think is actually really healthy because it can just be overwhelming. Um, so that can be really good. The other, another thing I found really helpful is just like, yeah, it's a dark time for all of us. It's a dark time for the economy, uh, but it's a golden age for memes and internet culture is on fire. So, yeah, I mean, I've never seen so many people actively participating in keeping the spirits up. It's like, it's like an, because you can't go out and speak to people and have that kind of like, you know, something like World War Two, people were still able to sort of, you know, uh, see each other read the news stuff like that whereas in in this sp specific scenario we're all inside but we're so connected that everyone is still having that level of social interaction definitely and i think i think it's incredibly powerful to be able to laugh at something like when the, when when the chips are down you've just got to laugh even though it's dark and morbid and like it's actually a horrible time laughing about it can really help and i i found that really really helpful the thing i think that a lot of people are struggling with that i've spoken to is kind of and i and i completely feel this um you know that feeling that you're reading all about it you know it's bad you're taking it seriously but all you're being told to do to help is stay at home and wash your hands and like some people just feel really helpless they're like well i want to okay i'm not making it worse but how can i help how can i make it better 
And so actually, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff now that you can go that you can do, which will actually really help and help us get through this. And I think that feeling of like being able that you're able to make a difference and being able to contribute, um, even if it's something small, I think that can be really powerful and a massive like boost to your mental health. How have you been doing in this time? Last time I saw you was probably three, four weeks ago. How are your family in terms of um, the fact that they are involved with this? Um, so you know, on the front line, are they being able to talk about the situations that they're confronting right now with you? Not yet, because it hasn't really kicked off yet. Um, so at least for at least, so in some hospitals, things are things are getting busy. Um, but where my family are working so far, it's all been fine um, because they've been working in you know the hospitals that are second on the list to get COVID patients or something, and the first one's not full yet or something like that. Um, so interestingly, something my sister said was she kind of she was listening to the clap for carers thing and she was like, I feel like a bit of a fraud because I haven't really done anything yet. <laughs> um, and I and I think they all know that they, they it's interesting because the NHS is now really well prepared for this to come through the door, but it just hasn't come through the door yet for hospitals um, for a lot of them anyway. So they're kind of waiting for these patients that they know are coming, but for the moment they're sitting and waiting. Um, so, so I don't think, you know, they're not, they're not really dealing with, well, at least people in my, some doctors most certainly are, but the ones in my family aren't really dealing with those horrible decisions yet. For the moment, it's more, you know, getting their rotors and my sister being like, cool. So I'm just working nights for the next three months because they need people to work nights. So she's working like uh, every other night for like three months or something on her new rotor. And uh, for her, it's more like, God, how's that going to impact my life? So we haven't really, at least I haven't seen them get to that kind of hard bit yet as such. Uh, but I do think it's probably coming. That's crazy. It's 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 a, I mean, that's the thing, like, hats off to people who are working in that industry because, you know, to, to one, you know, to have done a thing where they wanted to help people, but two, at a time like this where people are so dependent on their skills, but also their... You know, they they are essentially like you say. Your sister's gonna kind of have to put her life on hold for three months to be able to put other people's lives first. We're all gonna have to put our lives on hold to an extent. The thing that will be difficult, I think, um, is for doctors is when. So let's say this thing goes on for six months, and we have a test for immunity. That means you know, you and I take the test. We found that we're immune. We had it, you know, we didn't get particularly ill. We're fine. We can go back out and start going to the pub again and go to work and go to the cinema and go back to our normal lives. That's what everyone's hoping is going to happen. And, oh, my God, I'm on that train. Like, I really hope that is what happened. I cannot wait. Honestly, that first night back at the pub is going to be so big. It'll be so messy. I've got all of that money saved up that I didn't spend every weekend going to the pub and now it's just going to be one massive sort of celebration it might even be one of the biggest national celebration nights the only challenge is that um it might not happen for all of us at the same time oh you think it might be like a, in terms of a lockdown it might they might start releasing it into certain areas well so the, the thing that would make the most sense is once we've got this test to tell tell you whether you're immune um would be you test people and if they are immune they're allowed to go back out now that's not going to happen area by area it's going to have to be done person by person so you know 
it's likely that, for example, London is spread much more much more quickly than the rest of the country. So the the downside of that is that you're going to have more people in hospital in London than anywhere else. But the upside of that is that you know more people in London will have caught it and recovered. So London can get back to business as usual a little bit quicker than anywhere else. Um, but so you know it might be the case that when this test gets rolled out I take it and I'm immune and I can go to the pub but you take it and you're not immune so you're not allowed to go to the pub because you can still catch this virus and carry on spreading it around so we might end up in a situation like that where you know you get a government mandated wristband that lets you leave the house but you don't get one because you're not immune yet I don't know if you've if you've picked up on anything anyone else saying this but there was at one point a bit of a stigma surrounding coronavirus in the sense that before lockdown came out, and even during lockdown probably, if you started to feel a little bit rough, people are now sort of saying, oh, you know, it might be coronavirus and they're sort of open to it. But well, while people were still out, there was definitely a thing where people were... The flip side of that, which we're seeing a lot at the moment, it's kind of gone the other way, where anyone who has any symptoms of anything flu-like, of which there are a lot of viruses that normally come around this time of year that cause the same kind of symptoms, we're, we're assuming that all of those might be coronavirus. So, you know, like, like a third of my friends have reported having something that could be it, including me. But we don't have any testing, so we don't know. So it's really hard to know whether, you know, have a third of my friends had coronavirus and all of them are fine, which would be amazing, and I hope that's what's happened. Or have very few of my friends had coronavirus. I We just don't know. And have you had any symptoms? Uh, not really. I felt bit tired um i felt like a bit under the weather i would describe it as like you know getting tired but at the end of the day of work and needing a lie down and that kind of thing but you know so but is that coronavirus i don't fucking know i have no idea i really have my fingers crossed that i and everyone i know has already had this thing and it's really not a big deal and everything we're doing as a government and as a world is a huge overreaction i'll be so happy if that's true but until we know it's true going out and not worrying about it could end up killing people. And that, you know, I think that that's the point I've tried to get across to people, which is, you know, you need to not, you know, A, staying at home is saving lives. But the flip side of that is that going out and, you know, picking up every apple in the box at Sainsbury's and before you pick the one you like... That could kill. That could kill people. <laughs> Normally, that wouldn't be that big a deal. But like, you know, I get some weird looks. But it's still a bit weird. It's still, still a bit weird. weird. <laughs> You've been caught like fondling the apples. Yeah, exactly. But you know, fondling the apples on a normal day might get you just get kicked out of Sainsbury's. Whereas you know, fondling the apples today might kill people. I'm so glad we've managed to stumble across the thing that I'm going to make sure this, if any part of the of this episode is going to get out there it's going to be that quote about fondling apples <laughs> that, don't, was, don't that, was, that was perfect that was perfect so in terms of isolation we're all doing it we're all learning to sort of be kind of more virtually active how have you found your personal relationships friendships um even with your girlfriend how have you found having those keeping up those same relationships in a situation that we're in now where you're having to do it by FaceTime and by texting and by memes. How are you finding that? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I think the thing I've noticed the most is that time seems to be, like, all slowed down. So normally, you know, I wouldn't speak to people for a week or two, but the last week has felt like a month. And so I feel really out of touch with people already, even though 
I have kind of spoken to them fairly recently. Like all these little quizzes and stuff that are going around are actually so helpful because we all have to get used to the fact, like I'm normally a very active person. So like I would always rather go and have a drink with someone or go and go for a climb or go for a run or like play squash. My life is built around those kind of activities and I can't do any of that anymore with people. So finding new ways of kind of engaging with people, like you said, you know, I've got a girlfriend, um, you know, she's in London, I'm in Nottingham, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So no, no, perfect for a relationship. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's, you know, we, we've been, you know, it's not it's not been plain sailing the last week, at least in normal circumstances, you have, oh, how's things going? What have we been up to that kind of thing? Whereas sort of now it's like, Oh, you know, I'm still doing that same thing of staying in. I'm I'm sat here. What did I have for dinner? Like, you know, there's not a lot to talk about in a lot of ways. You know, you have to get more. You know, you have to get more creative with your sex life and all that kind of stuff as well. I think it's a learning curve for all of us. And for for me, the you know, I, I'm particularly feeling it because I'm not living at home. I'm living in a new. I'm living in my sister's house. So you know, I've never lived here before. Um, so that's a new adjustment as well. Coming on to your blog, obviously, um, you've you've written two really good articles about coronavirus and you know the, the how it's been in the present, how it could look in the future. In terms of your blog, how did you first start it? What was it? Was was it something that you naturally wanted to? Have you always leaned towards wanting to write about certain uh, scientific social issues, or is it just something that came about while you were studying? Well, it kind of, to, to be honest, it started as a, um, a CV point. So I wanted to go from science into what I'm in now, which is kind of science communication. So talking about it and communicating it to people. And I wanted to do a master's course. And to get onto the master's course, I had to, because I only decided this halfway through my finals. So I had to, dec- had to really quickly build a CV that would get me in. And um, one of the, you know, I was looking around for all these different opportunities and doing various bits and pieces. And one of the things that people said was, you know, start a blog. The po- No one has to read it, but no one can tell you that you can't post on it. You know, you're your own publisher. And that was really helpful because it meant I could just start writing. And um, so for the first kind of six months or so, like I was just writing it because I needed to write it. And it was, you know, sort of a job. And by the time six months was up, I was like, God, I actually really enjoy this. This is really good fun. And also something that was really nice was, you know, I sent it to a few of my friends and they're like, oh, this is so cool. I'm like learning so much. I'm really enjoying it. Um, And so from there, we just kind of kept it going. And, you know, had some really lovely stories. I'm, some of our friends who were out in a out in a villa with some beers around the pool in the sun. And uh, I posted something about how the the tip of a lit cigarette reaches 800 degrees C. And it just blew their minds. And they sat and talked about cigarettes and science and heat for 40 minutes on their holiday. And I was like, you know, anything that can get people interested to the level where they're willing to sit and talk about science around the pool, that's got to be a good thing. Also, any any kind of like intrinsic value that you see in yourself and you want to sort of put out to the world can only be a good thing you know unless it's like hate speech or something like that which yeah, is negative still, i've only done um, a couple of hate speech posts <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i was gonna say if i was gonna be, be gonna be critical about your work i'd cut down on the hate speech yeah that's, apart that's, from that's that, it's fantastic okay but that, that's that's um i think that's a good place to uh before we finish is there anything else you wanted to get out there in terms of you know, information or any uh, advice? 
Yeah, I, well, I was going to say, the, the one thing I would say is um, I'm planning on putting together something on, you know, we talked about that kind of feeling of being helpless and not being not knowing what to do to help. Um, and I'm putting together something which just a list of ideas for things you can do which actually will help people close to you or people who are really affected by this thing or just help the country get through it. Um, so I'm putting that together. So that might be, you know, maybe we could link to that or something if people are looking for a way to uh, actually support the recovery from this thing. Okay, fantastic. Well, mate, uh, it's been great. Um, thank you very much for being the first uh, audio uh, virtual uh, guest on the podcast. As things as things progress, if we're still here in three months' time, I might have you back as a, as the, the first virtual guest to come back twice. Well, mate, I'd, um, I'd be honoured. Depending it's been on how this goes. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it fairly informative. Hopefully, with a little more information, we can start to switch off any negative thoughts we're having about the current health climate. If you did enjoy it, please give us a subscribe or even a review. And uh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook at Hunky Dory Pod. And thank you again to Aaron for being on the podcast. Please, please have a look at his blog, Mr. Shornak's Little Bites of Science. There are some great articles there that further explain what our future may hold in terms of coronavirus, as well as a bunch of other interesting articles. And a quick mention to our collaborators of Hunky Dory, to our producer, Chris Muirhead-Hernandez, to Joel Stewart, who composed and recorded the music. If you wanted to hear more from him, you can give him a follow at joelstewart.music, or you can find all of his latest music on Spotify. And to Chloe Allen for the amazing artwork she hand-drew for the podcast logo. If you wanted to see more of her work, you could give her a follow at Chloe Allen Art. Finally, thanks to you guys for listening. This has been Everything is Hunky Dory.